Welcome to Flaunt Performance Podcast, where our motto is all bodies are built to run. I'm your host, Aja Yasir, and you can find us at flauntperformance.com or your favorite podcast directory. And you can go to flauntperformance.com to pick up 10 Laws of Power for the Voluptuous Runner. We focus on runners of larger sizes and we do not focus on weight loss. If you hear us talking about weight loss, it's just, I don't know, just cutting the breeze with our guests or sometimes our guests may mention weight loss, but that is not the focus here. Our focus is loving your body as is and loving the beautiful sport of running. Oh my goodness. If you are a runner, you know what I mean. You know how much we all love running. Today's show is not about running though. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine that. But it is kind of about running because so many runners need yoga and so many runners are getting into yoga. And it seems to be a heavy person, fat person, plus size person, voluptuous person, yoga movement going on. And I don't know the genesis of this movement, but it's just beautiful. A lot of people are getting into yoga. A lot of heavier people are getting into yoga. But Jessamine Stanley, oh my goodness. Do you have her book, Everybody Yoga? What a phenomenal person she is. Just sweet individual. Tell it like it is. Just a wonderful individual. But Everybody Yoga, you have to pick this book up because she goes deep in the book about her body image issues that she had when she was growing up, how she got into yoga, the poses and how to, you know, kind of make the poses yours. She's just, I don't know. She's just the bomb. So sit back and listen to my interview with Jessamine Stanley. If you don't know her, I don't know where you've been living under a rock or something. We'll learn about her right now. You're a fat fam, you're a yoga star, and now you're an author. How does it feel? Uh, the same. I don't know. I mean, I think that ultimately to me, I'm just like trying to every day wake up and be cool with myself and continue to practice yoga and not just when I'm on my yoga mat, but when I'm off. And so to me, adding author, adding any other thing to that is name to that is just dressing on the same thing. To me, I'm just, just Justin, still just fat fam making it through life. Your book is so beautiful. It is so, I mean, you went there in the beginning and the the insecurities that you had with your body, you really, really let us into your world. But take us there. It's your first Instagram post of you doing a pose. Did you have any anxiety over it? Oh, yeah. And I did not, I didn't even want to take Instagram pictures. From the very beginning, I was very skeptical of it because as a fat bodied person, I'd always felt like I didn't want to to look at my body in certain contexts. So 
when I would take photos of myself, I would always, you know, pose a certain way. And, you know, all voluptuous women, we know, y'all know the poses that were, where you like, you know, you turn to the side or you figure out what your good angle is. And you make sure that that's the only angle that, that you're in in photos. So for me to take photos of my yoga practice, I felt that same kind of anxiety. I was like, I got to make sure that the camera is at a certain angle so that it won't get this side or that side and that, you know, I'll look the most attractive because it's always about looking attractive like you want to be looking appealing to somebody else so it's like oh I just want to make sure that it looks looks good and then I didn't feel excuse me I didn't feel comfortable practicing poses that I wasn't really really familiar with so I would only the first couple photos that I posted on Instagram were just of photos or just of poses that I felt I was pretty competent in or with and eventually the more that I started more that I did the photography and the more that I like actually got to look at my body I saw that the angles that I thought were just so carefully created to get my best side were actually not allowing me to look at my body at all like I could not even I couldn't see the pose in its full glory and so then that made me kind of change my visual perspective and then when I would change my visual perspective and I I would be in these postures like let's use side plank as an example I'd be in side plank and I feel in the moment of the pose I'd be like oh my god I feel amazing yoga is great the world is singing everything is amazing and then I would look at the photo afterwards and I would immediately start talking shit about myself and I'd be like oh my god my belly's so big my arms are so jiggly my chin's wobble blah 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 and it's just like and that went on for so long where I take I would practice the poses over and over again and I would take the photos and I would just be so negative to myself and that dynamic really helped me come into a better relationship with my body and it's because of the it's because of the Instagram photos not necessarily the putting them on Instagram part because that's a whole other beast in and of itself but the photography aspect really helped me to see just how hateful and uh, negative I was being toward my myself and that I was really my biggest enemy and it helped me realize that the moment that when I was in the postures in the photos that was the moment to be proud of and that I had to hold on to that feeling and I think the photo is a very important aspect of it because if you look at your reflection in a mirror you can continue to turn in different ways or like make your body look the way you know like hit those hit your poses hit your angles to make sure that your body looks the way that you think it should but when you see a photo you can't walk away from that moment in time and you also can't forget the way that you felt in that moment and so it makes a really interesting space for creating body confidence so what was that moment of that moment of clarity that made you say, forget it, I am accepting my body, this is who I am, these are my Instagram pictures, this is just who I am? You know, I think it helped that when I first started putting my photos online, I, I had no intention of like building a following or having people pay any attention to me, really. The only reason that I was doing it is because at the time, at the time, Instagram wasn't that popular. Now there are tons of people on there and there's in particular, there are a ton of yoga people on there. But at the time, there were not that many people and the yoga people who were on there, it was just like very serious practitioners teachers and everyone was just offering one another feedback about the asana so 
you would get feedback like, oh, you know, if you cheat your foot a little bit forward here, or if you ground through these fingers or look in this place or, you know, general alignment cues to help out. And so that's the reason why I even started doing it. But as I started to receive feedback from people, I realized that most of the feedback I was getting was not people giving me alignment tips. And it was more people being like, wow, I had no idea that person could do yoga. This fat people can do yoga. And I was just like, why do you think that people can't do yoga? Because there are so many fat. I'm so far from the first curvy, not even the first curvy black person to be putting pictures of themselves online. So I was like, we clearly have a visibility issue. And one thing that I will say is very beneficial of being like a, um, being one of very few, you know, young black girls at a predominantly white middle elementary school and having to deal with the, um, being bullied by my classmates is that I realized from a young age that people are assholes. They just are. And people don't, when they don't understand something, they make fun of you. And the only way that you can combat that is to ignore it. And as soon as I realized how many people didn't even know about yoga and were surprised that, you know, to even see a fat body person practicing yoga, it immediately became, the opinions of other people immediately became less relevant because it's like, you know, I'm not going to sit up here feeling a way like thinking that um that I shouldn't be accepting my body or that I should these are the same people who thought that I shouldn't you know even be allowed to wear shorts outside or that I shouldn't even be happy wearing my natural hair like all of a sudden now I'm going to start to care about what some random person thinks of me in my underwear and a photo and so I think that coming from that background of having a lot of negativity this is kind of an I know that a lot of people can get buried under those feelings, but I actually think that those feelings can be really empowering because when you notice that other people are just insecure, they're just like reflecting their insecurity into the world, then you don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that conversation at all. Like if you're going to feel insecure, that's fine. That's whatever. And I get plenty of negative feedback to this day. I'm sure somebody's writing something negative about me somewhere right now. And I just don't, I feel like if you have time to write mean comments about somebody online, then you need to reevaluate the way that you're spending your time on this planet. And I'm not going to get my emotions wrapped up in somebody who can't even figure out what the way they should be spending their time. And I've kind of, so I've kind of had that mentality basically from the beginning of posting photos on Instagram. Did you once have brain chatter that told you you couldn't do headstands because of your size or any of the, those other I, more difficult poses? Yeah, definitely. And I think that when I first started practicing, I definitely had ideas about like, oh, you know, especially because when I first started practicing, there were so many poses that were, quote, like beginner poses that were impossible to me. Like downward facing dog is a great example. That pose kicked my ass every single, I mean, still kicks my ass to this day, but like, especially in the beginning, I was like, how are people even maintaining their weight in this posture? Like, how are you even staying upright? And I began to realize over time that, yeah, um, it's hard. It's meant to be hard. And you just sustain and you listen and you hear the cues and you just try to integrate them into your body. And as I watched my body change in these postures and watched my, um, the way that, 
I understood the posture change over time in postures like downward facing dog. Another big one for me was camel pose. That pose was extremely hard for me from the very beginning. And I mean, I could not, it's a back bend where you have your hands at your low back and then you transfer them to your ankles with your pelvis this jutting forward and your heart pumping up and initially I could barely even stay up on my shins to hold my low back up and to curl my chest open even that basic movement seemed like so massive but when I I've been working on that pose for a very long time and when you see these massive changes like getting to the place of being able to practice the full posture but remembering those days when you couldn't even get up your shins it makes something like a headstand feel really attainable because it's like I also thought like I thought I couldn't do camel pose I can do camel pose so then why is headstand out of the question then like what what is it about this pose and then once you start to once you break down that wall and you say oh this might actually be accessible to me then you start to see how you don't just throw yourself into a headstand and it's also not you know as a larger body person I hear a lot of times from other larger body people that they're afraid or even honestly from people who are not larger bodied people will be like, it's not safe to put all that weight on your neck. It's not, it's, I don't want to put all of, it's dangerous for me to put, you know, all 350 pounds of me, all that weight on my, on my cervical spine. And I'm like, I completely agree with you. You should not put 350 pounds on your cervical spine. The beauty of the headstand is that you're not doing that. The beauty of any inversion is that you're not doing that. You're putting the weight into your shoulders. You're putting the weight into your core. You're putting the weight into your legs. You're redistributing it and learning about how your body actually works, which is something that as a fat body person, you're never encouraged to do. You don't get up close and personal with your body at all. You don't get to know your shoulders or your hips or your core or anything. And particularly the core, because you have, like, I have a fat stomach. It's just, it's a thing. But there are muscles underneath that fat stomach. And being able to actually access those muscles and really get into that work it's a very deep and interesting process. And while you're on that, while you're in the process of doing that and learning about your body and learning about yourself, then on the way to that, you are all of a sudden popping up in headstands. And I think that when you move away from the destination and you just focus on the steps along the way, so many different goals are attainable. And the same can be said, I mean, with the running as well, like if you, because again, as a fat body person, I think even when people say running, it's immediately like, oh, fuck, I got to run. I run slow. I can't run. I can't run a distance. Like, I got to run a mile. At the end of this month, I have to run a mile, actually, in a relay race. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to run. I have to run. And then it's like, once you actually start running, it's like, oh, this is just breathing and moving your legs and your arms at the same time. This, this is fine. I can breathe. I can do this. And then it's a, it is a quick step from I can run a mile to I'm going to run a 5k and then it's an even quicker step from I'm going to run a 5k to I'm going to run a 10k and then all of a sudden you're running marathons and then you're running ultra marathons and it doesn't have anything to do with like your size it's just about the way that you break it down for yourself what do you think we need to do to learn how to be up close and personal with our bodies hmm I think that acceptance is probably the biggest thing that needs to happen because until you accept that your body is not small, until you accept that, like, until you accept the way that you look, 
you can't actually get in touch with what's happening to your body because otherwise you're always going to be in opposition to it. And it's very, very difficult to do, especially when you have not just your own feelings about it, but you have like your friends or your family or people who are generally unsupportive of any change in mentality that that can be very, very poisonous and it makes it difficult to see beyond. But it's very important to just start to come into a place of being very positive about your body and being very happy with how it shows up. Even if it is injured, even if you have mobility issues, even if you, you know, there are things about your body that you want to change or you think should be different. You just have to be okay with how it is right now because otherwise you're never going to, you're never going to be open to, all that it can do. Why are you extremely offensive to people? <laughs> do we have time to even go into <laughs> No, um, I think that honestly, if you, if you want my honest opinion, I think I'm offensive to people because I'm loud and black and unapologetic and I don't feel like I have to explain my actions to other people and because I use profanity and I don't apologize for it because I show my body sometimes fully nude that is considered to be very offensive to some people um, during class I encourage farting and burping and letting out the sounds that your body makes uh, some people consider that to be offensive um, you know just generally being like brash last night during my um, during my book tour event I may joke about ejaculation, things like that can be offensive to people. And I think that generally being yourself can be offensive to other people. And the reality of the situation is that if you're going to be okay with who you are and you're going to love who you are, you can't think about what other people think about you because other people are worried about what others think of them. So like, why are you going to be concerned? And I feel like Anyone who is really judgmental of me or who feels like, you know, I'm offensive to them, we don't need to spend time together anymore. So that's fun. Have you always allowed yourself the permission to show up 100% you? Absolutely not. That's definitely something that has only come within the last five years, maybe. And I think I'm being generous with that even. I feel like, and I don't even feel like I'm really consistent with this. Like I, I work, it's a practice just like anything else. You know, I practice self-love. I practice body confidence. I, I, I show up trying to feel comfortable about myself, but I am absolutely in recovery from a lifetime of being very, very body negative of self-hatred of shame, body shaming myself. And it's because of that recovery. I mean, it's just like saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm a body shamer. And when you start to step into that space, you see that you're just always trying to do better, always trying to look beyond. But I definitely have not always felt this way. And in, in Everybody Yoga, I talk about some of the things that some of the experiences in my youth that really led up to me having bad body image and that it took, it took really looking critically at myself through my yoga practice to even notice what those problems really were. Do you have daily exercises that help you get through that body shaming, those body shaming episodes that may come up? 
Um, in terms of like, you mean like not necessarily physical exercises, no, but like just mental exercises. exercises. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I do, and I think that. I feel like sometimes people expect that, and maybe this works for some people, I don't know who this person is, but I feel like, you know, standing in front of the mirror and just being like, I love myself, I look great, I love myself, I look great. I have never found that to be an effective method for actually countering anything, I feel like that's just talking, but, you know... I think that's what people tend to expect whenever you're body positive. But really what's happening is that you are constantly dealing with all of these voices. You know, the, the voices that you perceive from other people, the voices that are going on in your head, and all of that leads to being body negative. And I feel like the cure for all of that is to have a voice that speaks even louder than those voices that tells you the truth. And I have a mental tape that plays for me because like, again, I'm not immune to this. This is a practice. Like I, every time that I go out to eat or that I wear something revealing or that I do something that is, um, you know, going to, that I know is being perceived by the people around me as just outrageous I have a tape that plays. It's like I manually push the button on the tape player and it says, I don't care what other people think. I am myself. It's fine to be myself. Ignore what other people think. Do not pay attention. And it just plays over and over and over again. It plays louder than those other voices. So eventually that's the only voice that's playing. But it is a manual process that has to happen Every single time they come into contact with something that is intimidating because it's so easy to slip back into that place of self-hatred and negativity. And it's something that like no one, I think, I, I think that the person who says, yeah, you know, I used to hate my body and now, you know, two years later, I never have sex ever again. I feel like that's bullshit. Maybe it's not. I really feel like it is. And it's important to just accept accept your faults, accept that it's a practice, accept that um, there are some days where you're not going to feel great about yourself and then just strive for the positive. Why do you hesitate to focus on weight loss as it relates to yoga? I don't talk about weight loss and, or I don't focus on weight loss as it pertains to yoga because I think that weight loss is a very short-sighted goal for a yoga practice. I think that Yoga is not really fitness, although it gets lumped into the fitness category. So like yoga in my mind is really a life path. It is something that you learn these lessons while you're practicing the asana, while you're meditating, while you're breathing, and then you carry those lessons into the other parts of life. It's not a like regimen that you make sure that you hit every single day so that you can lose weight. It's totally possible to lose weight while practicing yoga and I personally lost weight while practicing yoga so I know this is true but the way to lose weight is to have a strong fitness regimen and to watch your nutrition specifically watch your nutrition like that's how you lose weight there's not another way you can buy pills and shit but that's the real way to do it so I feel like you know you can you can like flex and stretch your body and gain muscles you know become more toned and get the yoga butt or whatever it is that you're trying to do but that's not the reason to keep showing up on your mat because the spiritual journey of yoga is so much deeper than 
a done weight loss. Weight loss is a very, there are many different reasons why someone might want to lose weight. Some people need to lose weight for legitimate health reasons. And I'm not knocking this as a reason why you would for, I'm not, I'm not saying that like no one should ever, ever try to lose weight, but it's really just yoga is so much more than weight loss. It's a very, very short sighted way to see the practice. And that's why I don't focus on it. Does it bother you when people mention weight loss all the time when it comes to your practice? I mean, it bothers me when people say, are you running just to lose weight? Um, No, I'm not. Does it ever bother you? You know, everybody always wants to talk to me about weight and body things whenever they talk about yoga in general. And I just consider that to be like, uh, product of a body negative world, you know, like everyone is so obsessed with looking a certain way. Like people are more concerned with the way that they look than the way that they raise their children, than the way that, than the fact, the wars that we're in, than the literacy rate or the homelessness rate. Like you're more concerned with weight loss than that. And to whenever people ask me questions like that, I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever. Like I don't, I don't really. It doesn't affect me because I don't take it seriously. And I think that if I, I think that if I considered yoga to be more of a fitness thing and if I, um, if people, if I can see how I would care about it more. And I think there's definitely a point to my practice where I was more volatile whenever people would make comments about it. But I just feel like, I don't care. Like, I just don't, I don't, there's so many other things going on in my life and in the life of those around me that, you know, whatever. It's not about weight loss and anyone who thinks that it is doesn't know about yoga. So, you know, it's whatever. But I feel like it would piss me off for sure if I were a runner and like just running for the feet, for the sensation, for the, um, for the endurance drive, for the, the hike and energy for that feeling, that like delicious feeling. And then someone's like, oh my God, you must be running to lose weight. It's like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. Who, who <laughs> are you talking to? Like, what are you, what are you? Because it's so, again, with being short-sighted, it's like, so to you, the only reason to exercise is because of losing weight. Like of all the reasons why someone would exercise, just to, you know, the, the sensation being the main reason, you seem to think that it's all about weight loss okay, cool, cool, great. You're really knowledgeable about this subject. Like that, that's kind of where my mind goes with it. Why do you think it's important for the world to see fat bodies moving? Mm. Man, it is so important. And that's honestly one of my primary motivations at this point, because I think that there's such a connotation with fat people and lethargy. And it's all like, excuse me, if you see a fat person, they're sitting on a couch somewhere eating Domino's or eating like McDonald's in their car, or they're encouraging other people to eat McDonald's in their car, or on the flip side, they are, you know, in a Jenny Craig at like running slow or, you know, jogging slowly, or they are at the, um, at the supermarket trying to pick turkey breast over chicken breast or, you know, trying to get healthy. You never see fat people just living their lives, like just being 
like regular people. And one of the things that regular people do is exercise. And I feel like it's important to show that regardless of your size, there are a million reasons why someone would be fat and all of them are legitimate and it's fine. It doesn't matter what your body actually looks like. It matters how you take care of it. And I feel like if you can show fat people who care about their their lives, who are taking care of themselves, not because they want to lose weight, but because they just want to be happy on a day-to-day basis. It's one of the most important things that we can do to amplify this issue. Why should we reclaim the word fat? I mean, for some it's offensive, but why should we reclaim it? Totally. And when I don't get that many comments like this anymore because I've made a pretty staunch comment about it or a staunch response to the whole um, using the word fat issue on social media. And so I don't get that many emails about it anymore. But I used to get a lot of messages from people who would be like, I don't like that you call yourself fat because it makes me feel bad about myself. Or like, if don't, don't say you're fat, you're beautiful. And I'm always thinking like, why are you so concerned about words? Like, why is, why is your whole happiness tied up in whether or not someone thinks that you're a word? And when you use the word fat, that's like the F-bomb. Like, it, it is on the equivalent of fuck at this point. And it means, for some, it means, like, that you're stupid. It means that you, you know, that you don't know anything, that you don't care about yourself, that you are, that you're ugly. And, Fat doesn't mean anything other than large. Like, unless I'm confused about the definition of the word, that's pretty much what it means. So if you call yourself fat, that should really be all that it means. And to me, it's imperative that we use the word fat and that we reclaim it. Because when you allow, a word is only going to be a, um, it's only going to be a weapon if you allow it to be a weapon. And I'm tired of being victimized. I'm tired of being in this space of like, I don't have power and other people, you know, like that someone could use a word and that's going to take all my power away. Like that's bullshit. And there are a lot of people who, you know, they don't want to come out of that space. And even within, um, within communities of fat people, I think that there is, I mean, and I say this tongue in cheek because there are people who, wouldn't even say within communities of fat people, they would say within communities of curvy people or plus size people or something like that. And they want to put another name on it and it makes you feel good. And like, that's cool. That's whatever. But we have to own that. You have to get there because otherwise it's just going to, we're not going to change anything. How do we own it outside of just using it? How, what's, how does that look owning the word fat? I think that's the most, I think that's the best thing that you can do is to use it and to not to use it like I'm fat, I'm fat all the time, fat, but just saying <laughs> it not in a way, just saying it in a way where it's not like, you know, oh, I'm fat or so-and-so is fat or you know, like stop using it as an insult. And that's, an, that's probably the biggest thing is stop using it in an insult and stop using it, um, around children as an insult because when you allow children to think that it's okay to say things like that that's really the most important thing because they're that's the next generation and once they start doing it then they're going to tell their kids to do it and then here we are so like really owning the word for yourself taking the bullets out of it so that it's no longer a weapon and then just allowing it to not be 
this nasty, dirty word, but just let it come back into the dictionary like it's meant to be. If you can go back and talk to that little girl you speak about in your book, yourself, your adolescent self, right now, after you've achieved (laughs) all these things in your life, what would you talk to her about? I would just tell her to chill out, calm down. You're paranoid about things you don't need to be paranoid about. You're worried about finding a love interest and you're worried about finding the right career and worried about like, you know, doing all of these things. And what you really need to be concerned about is looking within yourself. And honestly, if I could go back in time, I probably wouldn't say anything to myself so that I could just have all of those experiences and everything could end up the way that it did in the end. Because I think it's important to go through stressful experiences and to, and to deal with self-hate so that you can actually understand what self-love is. But I also think that, you know, as a older and like marginally wiser person, I, I feel like I was paranoid. I was paranoid and anxious about things in my adolescence that I should not have been. And that life is not not that serious. And it's also really, really brief and unexpected. And it's way better to spend time being happy and being, um, feeling fulfilled than it is to worry about meeting certain goals. The appropriation of yoga. And when it Mm -hmm. comes to (laughs) heritage, Hindus, how do you feel about that? I have all the thoughts about this. So it's funny because when I first started practicing yoga, I felt very weird about certain parts of the practice. Like, and it wasn't in all classes and it wasn't even when I was practicing at home, but I would go to classes sometimes and there would be chanting or there would be like certain kind of kinds of iconography or imagery that was very very eastern in origin and I would be like I don't really know what's going on here and it seems like everyone in this room is just trying to be Indian and I don't understand why that's happening and it it always felt weird to me because like particularly I think chanting is the best example that I can think of because I noticed that there were so many people who didn't even know what we were chanting but they were just trying their best to mouth along with the teacher they didn't even know what they were saying they're just chanting along and so I would find myself like okay well we're chanting so I'm gonna chant you know like you know you're chanting and it feels great because the chants are I'm not saying anything against chanting like they usually the words are words that need to be said that are calming that are beautiful but the context of it was lost on me and being a person who as a black queer person a black queer female having so many parts of my identity blindly appropriated all the time it made me very aware of what appropriation looks like and something that and I realized after a while that that's why I felt weird in all those um, environments because it's like there's a lot of people here who just don't you know they don't even know what they're doing we don't even know what we're saying but it's like is this yoga do you have to try to assimilate into Indian's culture or something to be a yoga practitioner and I realize now that and this is maybe going to a place that you're not trying to go but if I can be so frank I think a huge part of why appropriation is so um, commonplace in the west and in modern yoga is because this 
practice became very popular with white people and appropriation is a hallmark of their behavior. Like if I can be completely honest and it turns into, you know, I mean, there, I don't even need to give examples. There are endless examples throughout history of white people appropriating things from other cultures. And I think that a lot of times whenever people encounter yoga, it gives them a cultural heritage that they have never experienced before or closeness to a culture that they haven't experienced. And they want to be close to that. So like you go to India, you have these experiences and you're like, Oh shit, I need to wear a bindi and a sari. And now I'm going to be chant- taking my chanting back to classes. And like, this is yoga. That's not yoga. That's somebody else's culture. Yoga is about the eternal truth that lies within all of us. It's about this like breathing together and connecting in the prana that connects all living beings. It's not about the the actual facets of this very specific culture. And I think that um especially with Hinduism, like on a very base level you can't just become Hindu. This is not a thing. Like, that is... And it's actually not even... I don't know if this is going too deep, but Hinduism is not even actually, like... You know, actually, that's going too deep. The point that I'm trying to make is that... Go with it. (laughs) I mean, it's like... It's like, you can't just... I get. I just don't believe it. Like you can't just become Hindu. That's that's what that is. And like, and you shouldn't try to. And the yoga that we understand in the West did come from people who were Hindu, but they never said to be Hindu. They said to practice yoga because yoga knows no cultural back. It do, it knows no cultural backdrop. And these truths, the truth of yoga, has been discovered on like every other continent too. Africa, South America, Native American medicine is very much that's yoga also so it's like you know when you are not in this space of just discovering the light and you're actually just over there stealing somebody else's identity that needs to be you know kind of calculated and that this isn't me saying that like somebody who you know maybe learned in an ashram in india and they incorporate chanting in their practice and they learned it from people who have been doing that their entire life and then they come back home and they want to practice that and then maybe they even want to share it with other people i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that i'm saying that you question the reason that you're doing shit and that's what's not happening is that there's a lot of people who are just like "Mm, om sign mala beads bindi um you know just like uh chanting like you know this this iconography this god this goddess like and it's just like what are you even doing? You don't even realize that you're just, you are stealing someone else's identity. And it's very, again, I feel like the reason that I even, I think it's the responsibility of POC practitioners to really see, like, you know, it might not be our culture, it might not be your culture that's being stolen, but that's somebody's culture. And it's totally, again, it's very hard to have these conversations with white practitioners because they feel as though they're under the gun. Like if you say that's cultural appropriation, then they're like, well, I'm not trying to be offensive. No one said you're trying to be offensive. That doesn't mean you didn't steal something. So there has to be more questioning of motive within. I talk about this a little bit in the book and I'm talking about it a lot more in my second book, but it's basically like, I think one of the most important things that modern practitioners need to keep in mind, we need to be paying attention to what is actually 
modern yoga, what is actually like the the things that are appropriate for us to hold close to ourselves and what is the theft of another human being's identity. What scares you most? In general? Yeah. Fear. Fear scares me. And I know that sounds weird to be scared by being scared, but I find that I'm afraid of things all the time that like, and I'm a big Oprah fan. One of Oprah's things is that there's two, only two emotions, love and fear. And that when you don't, I mean, Ku Klux Klan is a great example of this. They are not necessarily like, it's not hatred. It's fear. You fear what you do not know. And I see this shit all the time in my own life that I'm afraid of, you know, doing something new. I'm afraid of like jumping over this hurdle. I'm afraid of failing. And that's something that, a lot of people fear or uh, that's something that sits in a lot of people and trying not to be afraid and trying to move without fear. Those are like, that's probably the, one of the most conscious motivations of my life is to just try to be without fear and to live in the present and to be okay with things not turning out the way that I think that they should turn out and to release the need to be in control of everything that's definitely like top of the list for me. I heard you say something about another book <laughs> that you're writing. But where can we get? Where can everybody pick up Everybody Yoga, which is a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful book? Thank you. Everybody Yoga can be found basically anywhere the books are sold from Amazon to your local bookseller. But you can also find out all that information and find out about the book tour, find out about my classes, my online classes, and of course, Everybody Yoga at jessaminstanley.com. And it's jessamine, J-E-S-S-A-M like monkey, Y-N like Nancy, Stanley, S-T-A-N-L-E-Y.com. What's up with that with that other book that you're writing? Are you writing it right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, wow. <laughs> that's what's so weird about the whole book release process is that it's like I finished this book a while ago in my mind, and now it's coming out, and now it's a big deal. And I'm like, I'm like, oh shit, I'm on to the next. What are we talking about? What's happening with this one? Oh yeah, I forgot about that book. Um. The second book, the reason I wanted to write this one is so that I could just answer all of the basic questions that people have about practicing, all of the questions that stop someone from even going into a yoga studio. And the second book, I talk about all of the things that come up after you've begun a yoga practice and not just because everyone's always obsessed with the poses. You know, it's always like, which poses should I be practicing to do blah, blah, That's not what's really going to come up for you in your practice. You're going to have big emotional dilemmas and there are because the intersection between the like materialistic superficial egotistical capital capitalistic world that we live in and living the eight limb path of yoga there is a lot of disconnect there in terms of the people that you'll be relating to in terms of the experiences that you have and just the way that you view the world and the second book is about my reflections on that experience and the next step what happens to people after they begin a yoga practice thank you so much for taking time out to join flaunt performance i really appreciate you so much thank you so much for having me